Episode 17 of Section 8 No Jutsu, the only podcast coming to you live and direct from the hood of Konoha. It's your boy Sid the Kid. What's up? Yo, what's good? What's going on, my boys? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Damn, Robbie, no intro today? Nah, I didn't I didn't have anything ready. Oh. I, I, I didn't have any reference like to, to, to say for this episode. So you want to know what's crazy? When I didn't have anything ready for Hood Pass, I was slandered. It's because we don't believe in you. You want us to address it in front of people? We don't believe in you. Go ahead, Rob. Don't let him talk to you like that. Clearly, we have a guest. We got a guest today. How y'all doing? Everybody good? Having a wonderful, blessed day? Fuck you. Oh, I'm crying. Uh, it was good, E.T. Uh, you've been up here before. Yo, am I the um, first repeat guest? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got the VIP section. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. VIP section in, in the hood. Let's get it. You know. You know where I be. You know. Just on the corner. Hold it up. Just keep the streets together. That's all it is. I, uh, Rob, should we should we do a tuning exam? Like, he's been here before, but we kind of tweaked it since. I would like to be asked questions. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Robbie, uh, Mr. Proctor, fire that shit up, bro. It's time to begin. No, you're Proctor, and from this moment, your worst enemy. Now, if we're ready, we'll proceed first to the question. first stage of the tuning exam. Well, did I ask you this one? Um, if you had to be put in a world where, um, you were like you had to replace the main character, but but it's you in their body, did I ask you that question? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. So you, you you have to take the place of any anime character. You have all their abilities, but it's you at that age. So if you're a 13-year-old character, it's a 13-year-old you oh. controlling that character. Oh, no. That's, that's a terrible idea it's, for everyone. It's got dark fast. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, something not shown in because... No, no young man should have all that power. It's just not going to There's no show where it's like, yeah, I think a child should walk around that powerful. Like, so, you know, I, I don't trust me like that. So, <laughs> summoning an army of myself, no, that's not a good idea. Uh, Superman powers damn near, no, shouldn't do that either. I feel like if you're overly smart, that's a terrible thing, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, big tragedy. Like... <laughs> Like imagine thirteen year old you and Albert Leonard like just as smart as Senku. Like yeah, who, just, who's yeah. really gonna check you? <laughs> yeah. I got washed a lot. I earned it too. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's just Senku getting washed every day. No petrification, <laughs> nothing. It's just tired of that man. Just said, yeah, I'm a billion percent sure your plan won't work. Senku, shut the fuck up, bro. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> you study for any gay tests? Uh, Success rate of that plan is damn near zero. A word? Tell us. <laughs> yeah, just, just fisticuffs every day. He'd have been real strong, too. Yeah, and Senku was, like, dead trash. Like, outside of being smart. <laughs> I mean, that's how that go in anime. You can't be a nice person and be smart. Except Nah. Nah, his level of trash for being as smart as he is is wild funny. 
<laughs> like this man can't do regular like labor. <laughs> this shit is jokes. You gotta lead the people. He ain't, he ain't got time for that. Yeah, this man is <laughs> actually they have their Jeff Bezos eventually, but that's not that important. All right, so you don't. So what's your? Do you have an answer or not? Nah? You know what? I'm gonna go get this Yu Yu Hakusho show going. You know? Oh my god! Go ahead, go that's get such that. an easy answer. Ruffin Ethan. <laughs> the only reason, the only reason I say Yu Yu Hakusho show is because he earned his power by being a decent person. So the hope would be that he would continue that decency from there on in. But like Ruffin Ethan. <laughs> Wait, say it again. I said you're gonna be a ruffian. <laughs> yeah, you know, just just hang out on the top of building. Just hoodlum delinquency, you know. Won't say my hero. Won't say Full Metal. Um, definitely won't oh, say Dragon Ball. God. So yeah, Full Metal would be terrible. Yeah, but that's the oh, best I got. He was chilling in the, in the Johnny loses soul like that. Yeah, that's like wild. this is not a positive thing. <laughs> no. If you got shaky handwriting, and the soul is lost forever. Like that's a lot of pressure. Can <laughs> you imagine? Yo. The seal came out kind of trash. Like hmm. he's sealed, but he don't really function good. He only on about half the time. Yeah, no, I don't have time for that. No, that's fair. Yeah, so no, I'm going to go with the... It seems like the lowest stakes one is the Spirit Detective. You're helping people, at the very least. All right, so... <sighs> yeah. I only got one more question for you. Uh, you get to eliminate one plot line from an anime. Which one is it? How When you say plot line, like, how expansive can it be? It could be... Um, someone someone said uh, um, like a whole third of a show. Like, oh yeah, someone yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't someone get rid of Majin Buu as a whole? Yeah, I think one of your one of one of our boys got rid of Majin Buu, and uh, the other one got rid of the whole third season. The uh, no, the whole a second and third season of not not Mob Psycho, Mob Psycho second season is fire. The whole second and third season of um Tokyo Ghoul. That's what it was. Trying to think, honestly. This is gonna people are gonna slander me for this. I might get rid of all of the Itachi stuff in Naruto. <laughs> why? I don't dislike Itachi. What the good guy, bad guy, good guy, that like that's why Sasuke's storyline was so poor to me. Yeah. Because like they couldn't throughout the story there was really no no one ever had a beat on whether or not Itachi was a good dude and how good a dude he was. So him having more information than every other person, including the narrator made it so that Sasuke had to respond to things he could not possibly be aware of at all times and maintain his position as the bad guy. So like, oh my God, my brother's evil. I want to fight my brother. Then you find out your brother's good. And it's like, ah, I don't want to fight my brother. I want to fight the village. Then you find out your brother did all this for the village. And it's like, ah, I want to fight the village anyway because I'm mad he had to do that. But he did not have to do that. Like that was not necessary at all. That's what that was, that, I think that was dumb as hell. That's what I'm saying. I think Sasuke would have been a more useful character and less of an edgelord if um, Itachi's storyline was less up and down. I think Lord Sasuke. Yeah, bro. I, don't know. <laughs> I think his up and yeah, down um, nature was the problem. So, yeah. I think I think Itachi really is is the most low key, poorly written character in that show. Low key, high key. It's Batman with prep time, no, but in every no, situation, no, 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 all the time. No, no, no. I think I think people are going to hate you guys for saying. I think that. Obito at the end is very um, poorly written. I think um, Sakura is pretty poorly written. Um, yeah, she's barely written. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's like, barely written. She's not. She's not an in-depth character. Yeah, she's just, she's just, she's just Tsunade light. Like, yeah, yeah. she's just. Um, there, which I is she, fine. I wish they didn't do that. Uh, that kind of sucks. Yeah, honestly, everyone learning nature transformations except for her. Like, what? Everyone learned stuff except for her. They gave her a specialty and never gave her anything for her specialty. Like, she just she's got, exists. She's got strong. 
Facts. and did what she what she did at, at twelve years old, but now she's strong. But like what? Literally, she just became <laughs> Inner Sakura. Just kind of came to the outside. I wish they kept Inner Sakura as a part of her characterization as well. But so do I. I like Inner Sakura. I thought it was cool. It gave her something be, that wasn't so fresh. It'd be cool if like if Inner Sakura was like a again Jutsu yeah, type facts. thing. Like in, I think it was uh, Clash of Ninja one or two. Yeah, Inner Sakura yeah. was her special, and Inner Sakura would yeah. come down and, and it was. Her. Yeah, uh, that wasn't Clash of Ninja. That was um, not it was Ninja the one on GameCube. I thought it was one on PlayStation Two. Yeah, but say it was one on PlayStation. Yeah, facts. I was wrong. wrong. Oh yeah, Clash of Ninja is the one on GameCube. Yeah. Ultimate Ninja is the one on PS. Yeah, Ultimate Ninja was PS Two because I remember having it was that because uh, I remember unlocking Neji's sister was like the end all be all for the game, and she ended up being trash. But yeah, um. Yeah, I feel like Sakura should have had like more of a unique skill set. Like, I don't mind her learning from Tsunade, but like Sasuke learned from Rochimaru, and their their yeah, entire skill sets are different. Yeah, Naruto learned from Jiraiya and Kakashi, and he has different moves than both of them. Then Sakura literally is is Tsunade like a lot of their move sets are based around their lineage, though. No, they're not. Oh well, I guess technically, Chidori's not based around lineage. Yes. It's not, but there was something about Chidori, but I don't remember what it was. I mean, lightning release is something that Uchiha had access to. That, no, maybe that lightning was release it. is specific to Sasuke. Oh. Well, oh. Yeah, then it's not. Uchiha is uh, mostly fire. Yeah, I know Uchiha were fire. So, there was something about... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember. I haven't I watched saw Naruto that he was 1 in lightning. I just saw he was proficient in lightning, and he had um was learning... Lee's speed, so he was like, "All right, speed and proficiency with lightning. Let me teach you my lightning jutsu." That's, that's basically it. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, Naruto was also uh, familial and genetics a lot of uh, with, with that. I mean, not really. What technique yeah, did you get from genetics? Rasengan is Rasengan a is, is a familial move, but yeah, but there's other people. Kakashi can do Rasengan, kind of. No, like yes, he can. No, he did it, but like he said, he didn't use it because his was uh. He couldn't his... combine his uh, nature release with it. Yeah, so he said he just opted not to use it at all. And Jiraiya, I I guess that's familial, in I mean, in that sense. Jiraiya taught his father. His father taught him. Yeah, it's kind of like I a guess. familial thing. Like it's a it's a family line type of situation. Yeah, Before I don't, I don't taught, really yeah. see that as much, but sure. Um, and then yeah, Sakura but... doesn't really have any. Background but Naruto's most used jutsus, most used jutsu is shadow clone jutsu, and that's n- nothing to do with and any familiar. The other, the other, the only reason uh, he could only he could only use shadow clones in the way he could because of uh, the Uzumaki shit, because of the ridiculous uh, chakra. Uh, but I'm saying that's that's not that that's cool. not like Fox then his family. Though. No, no, he he has no. a. He has, he a has high ridiculous chakra, chakra pools. Nah, he, he has a high he, chakra he pool he without does. the nine-tailed fox, but but the fox um, also helps. Yeah, but that's more. But Naruto was doing that before he even had access to fox. But Kakashi specifically said that his chakra was—I don't know—I guess maybe it was technically retcon because of his mother's lineage. But they specifically yeah. said that his chakra reserves were larger because of the fox, separate from him accessing. Fox it was. It was. It was later retcon because he's. This, um, the, the first Hokage's yeah. uh, no, no, it was retconned twice. It was retconned once to say it was because of his Uzumaki side, and then it was retconned the second time because 
he's ascending. He's the first reincarnated. But either way, that's not really genetic. That is more. Wait, what? How how would that not be genetic? No, I'm saying he's the reincarnation of the first. He's chosen. Oh uh, yeah, well, maybe because really... they. Yeah, I, I get you. I get you. But yeah, the the Harano clan or whatever they. All they did was arrange flowers. That's why the the family owned. But they, damn, they could have put some flowers in her move set, even if it was like yeah. flowers in Genjutsu. Or no, or sorry, uh, not not the Harano clan. That was the Yamanaka clan. Yamanakas. They were the what flowers. Did, what did Haruno, the Harano clan do? They they didn't do anything. I think they were just there. I'm saying you could have gave them a background and have her learn from the lineage if that was the plan that everyone learns from their lineage. Yeah, I just don't think they ever intended for Sakura to actually be a character in any meaningful way. Like yeah, that, I think that's what have where the girl just does nothing in Naruto. Like the girl yeah. always just does nothing. She's usually I mean, a yeah, plot Ten device. Tenten's than... probably worse, but Tenten actually has some individuality in her set, at least. Okay, hold on. The Haruno entire clan... character is throwing weapons. Yeah, the Haruno clan has a gold release and a wood release. What is a gold? And... I'm not doing this. That's fine. I'm gold looking at the wiki right now. And it said, um, they have a, a, a Genjutsu KK Genkai. So they, they have a Genjutsu KK Genkai, and she never used it once. That's what I'm saying. Like, Sakura. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that there was something like that for, uh. Sakura is not going to undo my day again. Okay? All right, let's, let's, let's get into the real discussion. <laughs> no more. What are we yeah. talking about today, Sid? Uh, what are we talking about today? We are talking about food and where it comes from. Um, wow, this guy, like, you are a different person, bro. This is why things are bad here. Are we not? No, we're not. Yes, we are. <laughs> talking about shining optimism in the face of impending doom. You talking about food? Yeah, we're talking about food wars. Not bad. I hate it here. Oh, I man. It here again. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, we're we're talking about Promise Neverland. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, you, but I told you that before we started recording that I was that I was terrible in every sense of the word. Yeah, what, what do y'all think of Promise Neverland as a whole? All right, um, one thing, <laughs> the first thing I like to I like to say, um, I don't think it's outright a horror anime because. Most of the, the there was no not really fear. Um, there was much more like dread. Yeah, the the most attention wasn't from from fear and and surprise. It was from more dreadful like. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It was more from dread and and relishing what's coming next. Um, I think that there was there's an always in Promise Neverland. Maybe because it's shonen based, or maybe just because it's anime, and anime kind of likes to guide you towards the tone of where things are going to be at some point. Mm-hmm. That there was always a weird sense of optimism about everything in the Promised Neverland. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the, in the title. Yeah. Well, wait, Promise wait, Never, wait. like Rob, you said you don't feel like it's a horror. Like, what would? I guess what would make y'all say something is or isn't a horror? Because I agree. But I feel like we should be specific as to, I guess. Okay, so us feel that way. The overall depiction of the of the monsters is pretty nebulous. There's never really um, a 
uh, like a defined enemy. Like the there's an ambiguous enemy of them trying not to get eaten. So that's the primary antagonist. Right. Let's not get eaten. It's there's no real like there's there's named characters that are trying to eat them, but it's like I think I disagree. That's, that's not specifically their enemy. I think very specifically, grandmother is their enemy. Like very 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 specifically. You talking season but, one, or you talking about stuff that happens after? Because grandmother's on one. screen twice in season one. Yeah, and I feel like they they write her like they would write any other long term villain. But the thing is, do the kids even know it, that there's a grandmother? The kids don't. But the thing is this: the thing is this. Um, horror in horror, there's an immediacy to the threat. Right. You can clearly identify. Like early on, like, it might be something creeping and lurking in the shadows. But pretty much at the halfway point, at the very worst, you've clearly identified what the thing is that's coming to get you in a horror. It's like, oh yeah, we're, yeah. we're, in, we're in the woods. I'm trying to, I'm trying to smash, and then you see Jason, Jason come through. Jason's coming yeah. out the window like big hey, cutlass come down and kill both people. What's up? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I no, I get you. And usually, um, someone survives to tell the story. Like, it's not just going to be that people just start dropping off and no one's aware. Like, they either hear a legend of Jason who died at this place, or you hear the story about Freddy Krueger or whatever the case is. But here, it wasn't so much that they got introduced to the, them seeing the demons was important in the first episode, but it wasn't so much that all oh, the demons are coming to get us. It's that by being passive here and doing what we've been doing, we are going to die. So I think the timeline, yeah. like that that due date was more a villain to them than yeah, the demons okay. specifically. No, no, no I, I see what you're saying. More the of a villain as more... a plot device, more not as, more, as opposed to like a villain like that is actively impeding on what you're trying to do. Yeah. The yeah. villain is more the threat of getting eaten and the anxiety of being so young and having the threat looming over your head that death will come for you in in a few months, in a year, in two years, in five years, whatever. Yeah. That Good inevitability you had, what, six years max. Yeah, that inevitability of death is more the villain than um, any demons. Maybe later they might introduce that late. Um, I think overall the horror is 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 underwoven within the 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 main plot. Thank I think you. the horror is yeah. the horror of growing up as a child and having to learn stuff about the world um, yeah. through the through the eyes of a, of, a, of a child. Removal of innocence, and, of innocence kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and the entire world is being shielded from you because everything you know is being told to you by adults and in in real life usually at least from my perspective it's usually from an adult that cares about you but this is the horror of um adults that are actively trying to deceive you and lie to you right and we're coming to terms with that horror of of being a child and having no power and fighting for that small little power that you can get as a as a child where everyone else all the adults around you are more intelligent and more knowledgeable about the world than you that's that's the horror in it i think part of the horror i agree with everything you said and i think part of the horror also comes from the almost like you remember that show big brother back in the day or like even the phrase big brothers watching i guess yeah. they're living under constant surveillance and i think part of what ratchets up the tension even after they find out about the demons is realizing that mother is constantly watching them because in episode two is when Krona gets revealed, if I recall correctly. So mm-hmm. they find three. out, yeah. yes, it's early on. 
So they find out things are going bad, and then immediately after they find out things are going bad and that they've kind of had the innocence removed from them, now the surveillance has gone up. So now on top of knowing what you know, you have to operate in secrecy to let other people know, and you have to continue. I think it was, yeah, it was Norman, because that's before even Ray was involved for real. Um, Norman was talking about how Emma has to keep up the facade of being the same kid she was before she found that information out as a means Mm -hmm. of keeping herself safe. Because if you operate as an air quotes adult in that world, then you're eligible to be shipped off and you, you know, you're now you're in danger. So like their protection is their ignorance and their ignorance has been taken from them. So what do you do to protect yourself in that scenario where not knowing is the only thing that kept you safe. And even that safety was fake. Yeah. Um, And I think, what did a very good job of illustrating that is the very first episode when they're going to um return the the um bunny to to fluffy bunny Connie. yeah to to Connie um you see how the camera the camera changes yeah. so like everything behind them looks huge oh yeah that that was a so, that was a read i saw that and i was just like damn shit so like to go they're back. Like you see them walking, and then the second they cross through this threshold, yes, I the want camera to shifts that so that everything around them is big. So now you're seeing like just how out of their depths they are. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's literally like I th- uh, I think that that's the the genius little hinting that the, that yeah. the um the author is trying to show us or screenwriter or whatever. There's a couple little symbols that I've caught throughout that I want to talk about a little bit more later, but. Uh, cinematography is what just brought it up. I thought the cinematography of the show was really good. I don't think like mm. it was always phenomenal, but in the moments where they did something dra- uh, dramatic or drastic, it always served a point. So like I realized throughout the watch, you know, the big brothers watching feeling was kind of played up by the fact that there was one conversation, I forget what episode it was in, but Norman, Ray, and Emma are talking and the camera angle is looking at them through a bush. There's no yeah. one in there. Oh, yeah, when they were outside. No real character bad. there. It's not yeah. anybody's actual perspective. But then after I saw that, I realized when they're in the house talking very often, they're kind of getting viewed from the dark corner of the room. So it's like there's always something watching them, even when the camera is like the thing watching them is technically us. It just plays up the feeling of constant surveillance that creates the dread for the characters and kind of puts you in their shoes because at all times you feel them being watched, even if it's from your perspective. You get what I'm saying? Oh, it it feels like it shows you the paranoia of the characters. Right, because they... And then eventually... I didn't really think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. I think it's Norman. No, no, it's Ray. They're standing outside talking at night one time. And Ray turns his head and sees something. And then later on, they figure out Isabella knew something. I forget what specifically. But for the first several episodes of the season, that was just the way the camera was choosing to show their conversations. And then eventually, it was actually somebody watching and listening from the corner. So, like, just subtly, it went from, oh, yeah, it's just a camera angle. Maybe it means nothing to... No, they were trying to tell you they're being watched the entire time. And even if in those moments they weren't being watched by a character inside the show, that heightens the paranoia and heightens the fear of being caught because it's always on them and there's always eyes on them that are threatening to mess up their plan. That's a good point. I didn't I didn't really think about that. Yeah. And like in the overall look, it looks sort of like um we're watching from the perspective of a of a hunter almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of how that's kind of how like they perceive themselves after a certain point. Like, remember how it was just tag at first, and then it was right. they said it was a game of hunter prey, and then they said it was uh, and then they said it was the uh, the survival game, and then they're talking yeah. about 
uh, the implications of taking the younger kids and what would survive in the wild and what wouldn't survive in the wild. That's one so, of the things yeah, I want like, to talk about later because it's constantly there. And I think the asymmetrical nature of the information that the kids have kind of helps play that up even more because it creates small schisms between people. But we can talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can get into that. Um, what other what other real good camera looks I thought? Um, I thought was what was really weird. Um, the the characterization of of Sister Krona, wasn't it? That was named Krona, right? Krona, yeah. Crone, Krona, either or. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, in the manga, I think it's Cro- uh, Sister Crone, and then in the anime, I'm pretty sure it's Krona. Um, I thought her characterization of being monster-like was pretty interesting. Um, because she has done some, some monster stuff in her past right. with the hopes of surviving and living to that ripe uh, old age. Um, But I thought it was weird that, like, the fact that the only, like, black adult we see is shown with these really monstrous features and and some camera angles that we only saw the demons from. It was really interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Question. Have y'all read the after chapters of Promise Neverland? No. No. Oh, damn. Y'all got to take some time to read those because Krona, Krona has her uh, has a story. Isabella has a story. And then it's just Ooh. a story of what happens uh, kind of before demons take over, but oh, wow. also yeah. when humans are separate enough to show that they are demons. Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But go, go ahead with your point, Rob. My point is, um, all right, the way the the characterization of of Sister Crona and and Mother Isabel, the difference in how the the camera right. shows the characterization, um, Isabel is more conniving in the in hiding in the bushes, kind of of, of kind of a predator, whereas Crona was more in their face about it. Yeah. Um and I think that character I think that was the point of showing Krona as yeah. a monster. It, I mean if if that if that wasn't the point then it's overtly racist. I I want to hope that the point was was showing that she's more of a outright predator of a in your face kind of predator while Isabella is more like elegant and like snake like let me Piss up I mean, on you and yeah, that that you. had to be like that though. Just because, I, don't, I don't know if it was. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, because Isabella was the overarching mother of yeah. the place. Like she, she had to be like more conniving because at the end of the day, no matter what, the kids were going to be there. Like whether kids got out or whether kids, uh, or whether or whether kids just continued to die off. Like it was important to keep up the facade the entire time. And so that's why uh, towards the end when they're trying to save Norman and Isabella comes out of the bushes from the angle that Emeka was talking about, uh, that's the manifestation of the uh, of the paranoia finally creeping up and and talking to them. And it was almost like um, it was almost like in Yu Yu Hakusho when since we uh, went from from Minoru to uh, Shinobu for the first time and he was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And mother was like, hey, Emma. Hey Norman, this is the first time we've ever actually right. spoken to each right. other. The pretense was gone. I yeah, think, it was. I think Krona, Krona's weird for me because just like Rob said, I can definitely see that uh, 
her character design was kind of it's pretty clearly inappropriate to me. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like uh, the manga from what I read was worse. I remember seeing the drawings of her and thinking, all right, this is ridiculous. I don't think it was nearly as bad in the anime, but I think if I'm being generous to spirit and trying to, I guess, interpret it within the context of the story without adding in, I guess, the fact that I do think it was pretty, it was more about racial insensitivity than anything else. Um, yeah. The difference between Isabella and Krona is that, is it like, well, uh, give me one sec to go to character design first. The kids all wear white, right? The mothers wear black. The difference between Krona and Isabella, aside uh-huh. from skin tone, is that Krona, uh, Isabella's hair is dark. And if you look at the bodies of the demons, they're mostly black bodies, and then they have uh, like like a white mask on their face. If you look at the way Isabella is drawn, using her dark hair, her dark clothes, and like the apron, her face almost resembles the mask that kind of has the demons. So like if you were to just put down color palettes and the things that you use to draw these characters, Krona and, uh, sorry, Isabella and... Um, demons have the same colors Krona, obviously being a black woman is not gonna have those exact same colors but i think the major difference is that isabella even down to her character design is always supposed to be very close and very much in line with the demons and i think that's why the hair is pulled back and not down all the time she's supposed to be sleek she's supposed to be reserved she's supposed to be cool the entire time because at the end of the day the odds are in her favor so she can wait like if you think of her as like the agent of the demons mm. laying out a strategy where the kids being passive allows her to win speaks to her character because she doesn't have to do anything. So she can sit calmly and wait for things. Whereas Krona, Krona is trying to acquire something actively. If the kids do nothing, Isabella wins naturally. If the kids do nothing, Krona loses. So Krona has to be more active and more engaged. So like I saw that they made Krona really fast. They showed how fast she was. Isabella never played tag with the kids. The suggestion is that Isabella is also athletic because it's only the creme de la creme of the kids from uh, Grace Field or whatever it's called. Yeah. And, um, get to be mothers. But they never have to show her doing that because her speed wouldn't help the threat. She doesn't have to go get them in the same way Krona does. Krona has to be active about her goal in order to accomplish anything. Whereas Isabella can be passive and wait because passive and waiting is how she's won all the time she's won thus far. Whereas Krona's trying to get a win before a certain due date. And I think that also helps to you know, set up the predator-prey thing because Krona comes in and she's supposed to be help for Isabella. But it's made clear just as quickly as that Krona's a threat to the kids that Isabella's a threat to Krona. We spend a lot of time, we spend more time with Krona understanding her plight and how she feels and what she's trying to accomplish than we do with Isabella because at the end of the day, Krona is really effectively just one of the older kids because she yeah. has not accomplished what she needs to to be safe. She yes. needs to gain something to be safe. So she's an active agent in the same way that the kids are, whereas Isabella can be passive. I agree. Um, yeah. The screenshots did send like... Yeah, I'm, I'm throwing screenshots in the chat and I will um, timestamp them oh. so we can... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna timestamp them so like the people who listen can. Uh, they're they're gonna be in little uh in little in little thread under the tweet when this okay. comes out. Cool. Yeah, but yeah, nah. These pictures of Krona are yeah, nah. Yeah, this is, this like, is so bad. Yeah, oh my god! Because I got a message and I didn't want it to pop up, so I asked out of Facebook. Hold on, one second. It looks like how a racist would draw Serena Williams. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Not, no, oh, like, manga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 just, the manga's really. Yeah. Cool. I like thought it was screenshots of the thing. Yeah, no, it's the really brolic, the brolic no. arms, the like really, really racist minstrel like features, like yeah. And then there's the uh, in the second panel, or yeah, in the second panel when they're, uh, when they're it's Isabella, Emma, and Krona on the page, and then it's Krona with little demon to the left, like of the uh, with the eye, like right. yeah, like obviously that's the the comparison that they're trying to make, but like. 
the design is just Jesus. That yeah, is, I, and even like if you yeah. look at just at her hair, I think her hair, like she has yeah. like a you know like a not really an afro so to speak, but her hair is not so. The difference in the way her hair is designed in the manga and anime, I think, makes a difference in the way that we perceive her as like a minstrel show kind of character. Um, yeah. Yep. The other one's like a natural hairstyle as opposed to how she's depicted in the manga, which feels more indicative, like more reflective of that kind of stereotype. But I mean, although in uh, <laughs> in the side in the side stories of Promise Neverland, um, spoiler alert for it, it's not a huge deal. But like they they show Krona of her time in the academy and this and this girl that she gets close to, and it's funny that uh that she's a blonde white woman and Krona's like oh I'm jealous I've always wanted to have straight hair like that and then the oh, white yeah, woman's like yeah not and the white woman's like no I always wanted curly hair like that and I'm just like this is the most yeah, cringe I don't know thing I've ever read. telling me but I'm already out I don't like none of what's going on yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the exaggerated smile like this. And I mean, I will yeah, say... Yeah, nah, it looked like hey, the, the Barbie shit. I will shoot them some bail. I do think exaggerated facial features are a major way they convey horror and convey how large a moment is in the show. But like... Oh, here, absolutely. I, I, I don't recall... And even if it, even if they do do it the exact same way, there's a different level of racial sensitivity required when you're doing something different in that way. So like, there's a specific mm-hmm. stereotype that's being embodied by you drawing this this way. But if you were to draw... Emma that way, for example. It, what would the stereotype? There's no corresponding stereotype that would be similarly offensive that I'm aware of at the very least. So, um, if you go back into the chat again, uh, just another place to emphasize where like the the exaggerated facial features really do pop up and trying to show horror. Yeah, they do a real good job with that. Yeah, yo. So so since since we're getting into the screenshots, um. The very first words said in the Promised Neverland are so messed up. Where are they? I'm gonna eat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the the uh, Emma saying, "I'm gonna eat you to the kids," and them running away. Right. I was just like, "Oh, bruh." Thanks for telling us. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that. Nice. That's like that was almost some Shakespeare shit. Like I was just like, "Oh man, that that's not fun." They made that's sure to tell you as that. quickly as they could what was going on. Yeah, and um, then um. I only got like one screenshot. Oh, actually, speaking of screenshots, because I'm trash, I did not go back and screenshot these. But there's um a couple. Uh, I think something that was really important symbolically. Uh, back to the camera angles. The one screenshot I got was it was episode ten. After Norman resigns himself to like the fact that she's gonna die, mm-hmm. they show mm-hmm. Emma drop to the ground after he leaves, and they zoom up through the staircase. Yeah, and by I zooming like up through the staircase, they add height to the shot, and then by adding height to the shot, her lowest point is shown in the cinematography. Yeah, by drawing the camera I, I all the way up. Yeah, I thought that was pretty dope. And, uh, oh, you just threw the, the clock. I think the clock was a really important symbol of inevitability throughout this entire show. Every time that yeah. and um and does uh the the elements kind of like any time water was happening yeah. there was a demon around whenever yeah. wind blew that means someone was either getting ready to creep up on you or someone was uh or someone was watching, watching you. yeah yeah i didn't so, see, i didn't catch the wind one but i did realize that throughout the story water is only the only time water is not tied to the symbol i believe is when they use the little bottle rockets i don't think that's specifically yeah. tied to the demons in any way i mean it can be no, if you want to not. but no, every no. other time that you hear like when you first go to the tunnel in the first episode there's water yeah. dripping you don't even see it you just hear the noise of water drops over and over again. yeah and then they punctuate that noise with the demon noise the kind of noise when the demons yeah. appear and stuff like that 
And then um, anytime things are going bad in the house, you hear water dropping over and over again. Just water yep. drop, water drop. And I don't really recall seeing the kids. The only one other time that water was involved was Norman and Ray were talking at the water, uh, at like the sink at one point. And Krona came yeah. over to them to listen to their conversation. And they weren't sure if she heard them or not. That's the only, yeah. that's the loosest one. But each of them are directly connected to demons. Yeah. And the clock, I realized something, I forget what episode it was. When Emma had crutches and she was walking throughout the mansion, there's one point where she's walking down the hallway. They turn, like, pretty much turn all the music low, and she's walking in the hallway. And it sounds, because of the crutches, her footsteps sound like sound like uh, picking the, on the clock. Yeah. I remember that. And her being hurt, wow. being the, her being hurt, you know, kind of, you know. Being the thing that makes her not be yeah, able to be shipped. Drumming yeah. up the inevitability, the, the combination, the juxtaposition of her being hurt, the crutches, the clock. Like, I think they kept the clock motif pretty strong throughout. And what I'm wondering now, after I realized that her footsteps sound like the clock, that there's a lot of times where the kids are walking in hallways and it's dark. Specifically, I remember Norman walking in the hallway in the dark at one point. Isabella walks in the hallway in the dark sometimes and they hear her footsteps or whatever cases. I'm wondering if every time you hear footsteps in an important way inside the house, it's supposed to resemble the ticking of a clock. Because Emma's was that very sounds consistent. Yeah. No, that sounds consistent too because even Krona, who runs fast, I think there was a time where she was running through the house and it was supposed to be silent. Or uh, and and it sounded like a clock when Isabella was coming to knock on her door. One of the or when right. one of the kids was coming to knock on the door. Right, right, right. Yeah, I thought the clock was a very. It was just a. It was a great symbol because even um Isabella's y'all can still hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. Isabella's a uh, tracker. It, yeah, it even like her a, tracker uh, when she pulls it out it the looks pocket. Like a clock. Yeah, right. it looks like a clock. Just it was a and there was a clock outside the house as well, which brings me to something else I paid a lot of attention to, and I realized it in the first episode. When they walk into the tunnel, there's a mm-hmm. scene that shows them from the side. And it's almost like the camera is bisected by inside versus outside. And I think the house. Yes, I think I, I think I have a picture of that. Yeah, I think the house and the idea of air quotes inside, inside is trapped. And I think the metaphor goes really well because even down to the last episode, uh, when they escape, they escape over the wall, which is another use of inside because they're inside the walls of you know the area. When yeah. they escape beyond the wall, the house, the, like, the house literally burns down. So they've destroyed their air quotes inside the minute they escape, which I think ties it together really nicely throughout the season. Because every time mm-hmm. it was inside, you never saw the demons in any place that was outside or free. And I realized in the first episode, before they gave us the terrible information about the demons and the harvesting, they kind of used almost like a shoujo filter over the, the manor to yeah. make it seem idyllic. So like it's yeah. real soft lines, the light is real bright. Just show that things yeah. are good. You don't really get that again, I think, until the end when they're starting to figure things out. But even then, I don't think it was as prevalent because it wasn't at, it yeah, was like it wasn't at sunset. And, yeah, it was yeah. daytime and it was real, almost a real shoujo lens on it. The way that you might draw like a background for Sailor Moon or something like that. And then yeah. after that, it was real stark lines and the next couple episodes were dark and rainy. So I thought that was an interesting comparison. But it didn't stay rainy the entire time because they had stuff to do outside, of course, and whatever else. But I just thought it was interesting um, that the house was depicted in such a nice way and then it stopped being that way and then later on you realize there's a clock on the outside of the house so inside which is the house literally has the symbol of inevitability on like emblazoned on the outside constantly letting them know that their time is running out yeah and, and also the the calendars being um yeah another symbol of that same inevitability while not while not being like as as um prevalent or as like um iconic i guess because you know you you could tell the sound of a clock like right 
from you could tell a clock by sound. You can't really like tell a calendar flipping by sound. Right. While not being as like prevalent or iconic in that in that sense, calendars have an important role throughout the show also. Did um, you guys figure out what the uh episode names were? No, I didn't. They were they're all names of uh the numbers of the characters. No. They were the days that kids got shipped out. Oh, that's messed up. Wait, which kids? Wow. Just any kids? So, like, the episode where Norman got chipped out, that was the day oh, wow. he got chipped. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, the day that Connie got chipped out, that was the first episode. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and so there was one episode that was about Ray before he was about to get chipped out. Uh, the episode right before they broke out, that was Ray's shipping day. It was uh, November November 14th or something like that. Now, are the numbers that they're tattooed with, is that their shipping day? No. Okay, Those are just the identification numbers gotcha. that uh, go along with the uh, little thing that's in the earrings. Right, I got you. Yeah, the little tracker. When Rob yeah. just brought the calendar to, like next to the clock, you're, you're, wow. I realized the calendar, the clock is the thing that's like weighing down on the kids. That's their symbol of time. But the calendar informs Isabella of her wind condition. Yes. yes. She's the one that goes for the calendars most frequently. She marks off the days. And the babies put it up for her because she asked. But the kids don't interact with the calendars nearly in the same way that um, she does. Not until they figure out uh, shipping dates. And then right. they're counting down. Right, right. And they're right. counting down like that. Uh, and they're using the calendar. And so uh, instead of using it, it got to a point where instead of using days, they would just say Ray's birthday. Right. And they yeah. do like based on that calendar, uh, that day on the calendar, that's when they're either going to escape or ship out. Yeah. Very, it's that. That's a cool. Uh, that's two things. That's cool to put those two things next to one another, like those ideas. The clock being a symbol of negative, terrible, dread. You know, all these things for the kids, mm-hmm. and then the calendar being her wind condition, because that would provide her comfort. Yeah, the time passing is her comfort, which you know, when you put that alongside her being a kid, is different. Um, you know, the fact that yeah, everything that provides the kids comfort right. after they can come to the realization. It's flipped from everything that provides right. Isabel comfort. Right, right, right. You yeah, know what's crazy? That... Go ahead. Oh, no, this is a complete, like, waste man thing. When oh. Emma was dead ass outside, bruh, that's when, like, the pop smoke uh, niggas saying outside shit, what a perfect time, like, perfect flow there. I loved it so much. Emma was really outside. <laughs> wow. What was, but, but what I was saying, though, um, <laughs> yeah, the, um, like being in the house is the comfort for Isabel and right. the passage of time, whether it be through the clock or through the calendar, was was is always a comfort for Isabel because like you said, she could just be passive and keep things in the status quo. Right, right. And right. she wouldn't. But but the kids have to are the ones who have to make a dramatic change to everything around them for them to win. And their winning isn't like they made it clear. Their win is not a win. Their win is, uh, I guess you get to no. Their their win, their win is, is all right. Let's get to the next game. Yeah, like, yeah their win is the delaying of the inevitable. Right, it's pushing back the clock. Yeah, rejecting the clock literally, which is fits the, the whole thing. Um, trying to think what else I saw that I thought was important. Um. Oh, um, the predator versus prey thing we talked about a while ago. 
and then I, in, in that as well, I guess it's Emma versus Isabella. Um, Predator versus Prey was interesting because the thing that it this is not a typical. I don't know if this would this even be described as a shonen. No, I don't think it's a shonen. I think um, where it got published though is technically is a shonen magazine. Yeah, it's in Shonen Jump. Oh, I thought it was the other one. My bad. Um, no, it's Shonen Jump. Yeah, facts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that doesn't mean it's Shonen, obviously, but. Um, the reason I brought it up is because this is not a typical, you know, with the Shonen Battle anime, becoming more powerful in the power system is how you get strong. Um, new weapon, new magic, new transformation, whatever the case is. In this show, the predator-prey dichotomy is set up by knowledge or information. So yeah. at, mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily about being an intelligent person. It's about what information specifically you have as it pertains to the farms or whatever the case is. So mm-hmm. like it at different junctures throughout the season, it sets up different... Uh, schisms between people. So obviously, mother knows stuff the kids don't know, but they're on the same side, air quotes, until Norman and Emma figure out what the hell's going on. Then after that, it's Norman and Emma versus mom. But then, you know, Ray joins their ranks. And then at some point, Ray versus Norman and Emma because they find out he's the spy. But then he tells yeah. them, I'm not really the spy. And they go back to being on the same side. But then there's, because he's the double crossing spy, then there's Ray versus Isabella. And then just more information, more information, more information always sets up the new, air quotes, battle between people. And, like, conversations become the, you know, the air quotes fights because you're trying to gain the upper hand without tipping your hand. So, for example, when the kids go to Krona's room to talk to Krona, you know, at the end they showed that they had the other, the younger, they had Don and Gilda. We're going to dress Don because I'm tired of Don. Oh, bro, fuck him. I'm tired of Don. Honestly. Don oh, my Star-Lord. God. Honestly. Anyway. Honestly. Um, yeah, nah, he had to go. Yeah, if he if he'd have been the one to get left, I mean, hey. Anywho. Um, nah, nah, dead ass. What's it called? Honestly. They won, air quotes, that fight by having those other kids listen and having Krona tell information for them. Isabella wins conversation by doing but something. even then, Krona won that conversation, remember? No, well, no, no. The thing is... They wanted Isabel to tell them information they knew because if they, they had the kids outside listening. Right. So because they already knew this information, it didn't matter to them. No, but that they, was the corroboration for them because remember, right. uh, or no, uh, it turned into the corroboration for them and uh, it also confirmed that, um, that Connie died. Yes. Krona thought she won the conversation because she didn't have as much information as the kids had. The other kids were outside listening, so Krona misunderstood, and that was the thing, you know, at the end of the fight. Yeah, Krona... The power friendship off. That was their airport power friendship moment, because they won by having those other kids listening, and they never even had to reveal that to Krona. Krona presumably died yeah. without having that information, but they won and empowered themselves by having those kids outside. And there's several other conversations that have a similar tone. So, like, Isabella figured out that Ray was a snitch in a conversation they had where Ray was trying to hide the fact that he was. Um, who else was there? Norman and Ray had a conversation about leaving the other kids behind, and they wanted to keep that from Emma. So in each situation, whoever the more powerful person is, is the person with more information, and you maintain that power by not sharing the information, but hoping to get information from the other person in the conversation. Yeah, since you brought that point, I think Ray becomes a very, very interesting character, because Ray has all this knowledge that even his mother doesn't have. Yeah, oh Ray, yeah, because he was Ray, born. Uh, he, Ray he got big Sasuke energy. I was so pissed that they revealed specifically. I thought I figured something out because from the first episode, I thought Ray was Sasuke, but um, because I dead forgot that was her kid. Definitely forgot that entirely. But 
Yeah, but like Ray had being privy to more knowledge than his right. mom, but because he's a child, he's still at that. He's still in the the prey situation right. when it comes to that. And, it make it makes it interesting and Ray, to discuss. Ray, Ray as oh, a traitor. Right. No, uh, just just to add on, Ray as a traitor is interesting because Ray stops being a traitor, but Ray had different interests than Emma pretty much the entire time as it pertained to the other kids. But Ray mm-hmm. never gives up his advantageous position information wise. Because Ray never tells those other kids that Isabella's his actual mother. These kids all believe they're adopted. Ray knows he's not adopted. And he expresses, and that's another interesting fight, because him and his mom have technically been air quotes fighting the entire time. She goes, how do you know that song? And he didn't tell her where he needed a song from. He said, Ma, why did you give birth to me? Which means he knew that was his mother because he had those, uh, he never suffered from infantile amnesia. That I keep saying to them. He ex- he knows the song. He's chilling, minding his business, singing the song, and here comes his mom outside, horrified. She goes, "How do you know that song?" And he doesn't even answer the question. He just says, "Why did yeah. you give birth to me?" Which means Ray was in an advantageous position from the time he was a child, and that him and her have been going back and forth in this way the entire time. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what makes Ray so interesting because, in a lot of ways, he's bested her, but because. Yeah. She's physically stronger, more imposing. She could just, yeah, get locked in that room, little boy. Like, yep. she could little, she could son this man literally <laughs> because that. <laughs> that's just but, but this character, honestly, like if we're talking about like, um, the knowledge of the world as a pa- as a sense of like a, a sort of power scaling for this for this verse, right? Ray is the most powerful character shown so far. Yeah, arguably. Uh, Which also makes I, I think Norman, but no, Ray, Ray Norman there. figures more out. I don't remember how they specifically discuss the intelligence of any of them besides. Um, I think Emma they're all Norman super smart. I think Norman's more intelligent, but Ray has more knowledge of the world. I remember yeah. they said Emma learns the rules quickly, so she can keep up with those other two. And that, I don't remember what the specific Emma learns the rules quickly. Norman, uh, Norman is sickly, but he's the smartest, and and Ray was uh, Ray remembered everything. Right. So to Rob's point, Ray is arguably one of the strongest air, you know, like this is a weird way to phrase it. Yeah, no. I, I still think Norman, but yeah, no, I, I get you. The reason I wouldn't say Norman is because Ray, they show him just throughout, like, oh, side note. And this is random. Did y'all watch Baby Looney Tunes? Yeah. Yeah. I need Baby Looney Tunes Promise Neverland. Because when they were kids, that was cute as hell. I oh, stop. Now, it would be really hurtful, but like, I'm down to watch more. The whole season was hurtful. I'm down to watch more hurt. But like the whole um, slice of life. Yeah, like just just chilling, minding their business, ignoring their impending demise. But uh, separately, um, Ray. <laughs> That's fucked up, bro. Ray said he's been planning for six years to uh, light himself on fire because he's known. So <laughs> Ray, the entire time he's on screen and before he's on screen. And before any of them are any kind of aware, not even self-aware, any kind of awareness whatsoever, Ray knows and has been planning this thing. So even when they show them as little kids, Ray is scheming on destroying himself. And he's a sicko because not only is he, he knows that this is going bad. He's a smart kid. I'm sure he could have figured out a way to, I'm sure he could have figured out a way to, uh, I guess, everyone's get out of the situation, not necessarily escape because his plan was to land himself on fire. He could have done that earlier, I'm sure. But he... And this is why I said he had big Sasuke energy, especially at the end. There's a specific... Remember when Sasuke said he was going to kill um, Kakashi and Kakashi was unimpressed? 
Yeah. That was the same face Ray had on when Ray was talking about burning himself. And, and Emma was like, nigga, shut up. Yeah, he was like, bro, what are you talking about? Relax. Like, oh, what's it Nah, the most metal shit ever is the fact that they took their ears off. Oh, yeah, facts. <laughs> I didn't understand why they only took off their two ears, though. Why didn't they take off anybody else's ears? Uh, cause the rest they got their thing uh diffused with the um gotcha. with, with, with the ice. with yeah. the uh thing. Uh, what's it yeah. called? Uh, he had the Sasuke smile on the same broken up crazy person smile Sasuke had when he threatened Kakashi. Ray had the same thing, and he was talking about taking his revenge on this place by burning himself the day before he was set to go out because he wanted them to anticipate having the high quality food they've been grazing all this time. We're excited about for the one and all these other things. And he was gonna ruin it for them which wasn't even about his own salvation. It was about he was going to give his life to disrespect the demons and the farm and mother. Yeah, honestly. I'm here for it. This kid, this kid was suicidal. Nah, I'm, I'm with all the static. Plotting his own demise. Yo, he's about that. This guy, this guy is tough. And nah, he tried it, to style, too. He tried to do the bad guys on looking at explosions with his own body. Like, Emma was standing in front of him. He, was going, he dropped the match real slowly. Like, bro. This is, you wanted it to be dramatic too. Like she didn't do anything to you. Why are you behaving like this? <laughs> but that's how he felt, and it, it's just interesting the differences between how they handled things and the fact that Ray the entire time you could tell Ray was the uh, <laughs> Ray was definitely the Sasuke of the group. He's the one who's going to have a problem being a good guy the whole time. You know that's him. And then um Norman, the fact that Norman planned for Ray's plan and then planned to counter Ray's plan. Yeah. With postmortem that got them out. <laughs> postmortem, like he built off Ray's plan to to let the kids escape, but he also bypassed Ray's plan despite Ray not telling anyone his plans to kill himself. And stop that postmortem, he lost. Like <laughs> like Ray and Norman, quote unquote, fought, and Norman won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this yeah. guy's been dead for <laughs> for months. Yeah, Norman, Norman undefeated. <laughs> Oh, quick question. What did she leave? What did Krona leave for them? The pen and what? Uh, a book. What was in a book? Wasn't it a key also? Uh, uh, it was a book in the library. Um, They go into it in season two, but it's it's a book uh, by a guy named William Minerva. Okay. Oh, that's the guy yeah. who wrote the codes. The codes on the thing. Yeah, he's the guy who left uh, the uh, Morse code and stuff and, and all that. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, nah. Emma, she, Emma really makes me feel violence, bro. I, I love it. The level of negativity that she has to deal with at all times is amazing. Yeah, and her her resilience and ability to yeah. remain optimistic throughout. Shown in optimism for sure, for sure. Nah, yeah, like the the creepiest optimism moment ever was like when they ran back to the house in the in the house crying, and so first off, before we even even get to that point, oh, yeah. these niggas yelled all the time. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Like, all <laughs> the time. This is y'all are supposed to be keeping secrets, and it's night, and y'all are the only people who live here. Why, why are you yelling? Why are you yelling? <laughs> Like, bro, do you do you want them to see you? Like, you want the light out? Yeah, yell as loud as you could. Like, you can just go but talk. To say, but to say, Emma is in the bedroom screaming bloody murder, bro. Like Emma, yo, relax, relax. She's Norman she sitting there. Doors down. You need to calm down. 
Emma sit or Norman sitting there. Hey, bruh, you gotta be quiet. Emma, no, Norman, shut the fuck up, bro. Like, <laughs> I also thought it was interesting. Like, it was, it's, if you're being negative, I guess it could be a plot hole, but I think it kind of drums up, like, it kind of shows how good the system is. Isabella mm-hmm. knew these kids were meeting at night. She knew they were yelling loud outside. Like, I have no, I have no faith that she didn't hear them. Like, she absolutely heard all of this. But it oh, doesn't yeah. matter. Like, yeah. I, I, I got it. It's okay. It's fine. And, like, that, like, you know, on the one hand, that helps them grow and be free and whatever the case is, because they never felt the watchful eye of mother until they found out more information. But nothing had changed in the way that they were being treated or the way that they were being really watched. So I'm sure that yeah. Isabella was watching to see what the hell Well, they no, they, they did know. They did know. Because remember, um, they talked they they showed it when uh with the tracker they oh, said yeah, yes yeah, somehow mom has always known where we are uh yes. she's always known uh when we play hide and seek and she can always find us in the forest yep, yep, yep. so i get yeah they they've always taken note of it and they ne- and they never really thought it was strange the so there was a reason yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the context to why mom is always around yeah. or like why she can always uh or she, they said something about uh her always being able to know their secrets when they would talk right. in between the doors, and that's why they came up with the cup phone for when uh, Norman and Emma were kids. Yeah, yeah. And then Ray was like, "If you keep yelling, there's still point in the cup phone." <laughs> you know what? I, I guess yeah. Like, I guess they were supposed to just keep yelling. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense because they're children, and and children have no, um, even if even if their lives depend on it, nah, they nah, have no like. Don't do that. Those brilliant <laughs> children knew the only child that did not mind yelling was Emma. Emma was in sick. She was going to yell regardless. That's, yeah, that's nah, what she came right. here to She was trying to yell under the car. So she was, she was, like, yo, don't make that noise while the demons are standing 20 feet from Not even 20 feet from us. Like, they can't hear you. But nope. Bro, she was, yell- she was yelling like, like, she's an informant. Like, like she yelled in the middle of the field at night. She might have been the spy the whole time, bro, because she was trying to get them caught. Yeah, yeah nah. I'm the planners will live on March 21st, night, uh, 2046. Through the gate, <laughs> I bro. think I'm about to steal. <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, you have to, you have to, you have to but nah, uh, a weirdly optimistic moment that got cut off so quick, and it was like, it was, it definitely wasn't like a cheap jump scare, but I was just like, damn, bro, <laughs> mother is on the ass. At the end, when they uh, finally made the resolution to leave, and they started planning everything, and it plays like the the campy shonen music, and then it just cuts to Isabella, like, looking up from the bunny, and she's like, oh, yeah, it's game time. I've been waiting for this one. (laughs) I've been waiting for one of you niggas to find out what's going on. Oh, that just reminded me. There's a couple of different instances of uh, parallelism throughout the series that I thought were really good. The one that struck me the most is when Connie died, what is it, Fluffy Bunny? Yeah. Yeah, Fluffy Bunny got dropped. And they left Fluffy Bunny in that hallway, which is how it set off everything and Mother knew, right? Mm-hmm. When Krona died, further showing she's just one of the bigger kids, she dropped her baby doll. Yeah. And it's dope how her baby doll, I thought her baby doll was a device to make her more creepy throughout, and it definitely did make her more creepy. But then they showed the flashbacks of her being a little kid. And it shows her warped perspective on motherhood because of her upbringing and everything. And then at the end, they used that same creepy baby doll to make her sympathetic because she dropped her doll in the same way Connie dropped her doll when she died. I yeah. thought that was really good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um that screenshot Sid just put in where um with with my mother staring with the doll in her hand. I think it goes back to the point I brought up earlier how mother takes a patient kind of like snake like predator yeah. role. Literally, she even looks. She even looks almost like snake like. Yeah. With the eyes, the hair pulled back. Yeah, she like I feel like, yeah, I think that what they were going for is mother is is the snake. And and um, Krona is the more aggressive animal. I don't know what animal they're going for, but racist. Please, please ignore me. You, you thought I was trying to get canceled? <laughs> I was not gonna say gorilla. I, said, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't know what I animal. Even, I don't even want this thing out to people. Y'all, y'all gotta take that out. <laughs> well, matter of fact, just put. Drop that as just a dime. Drop that as a sign. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bleep out what Saddam said. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be beep. Yeah, You're just gonna hear a beep right there. Matter of fact, we're gonna we gonna leak the conversation. I'm gonna get an anonymous Twitter and leak the conversation. The game's not canceled. I'm tired of it. Oh right. my god. Anyway. I'm gonna bleep everything Saddam said there. Y'all gonna hear it on the show. Oh my god. Um I'm trying to think of whatever useful commentary. Oh, I was gonna say there's one more layer of horror. I think that it, that they were going for in the show. Um, the horror of, you know how like, I I think we discussed this before on on a Discord or whatever. Um, how humans like capture and in, in, in pretty much mm-hmm. like own yeah, yeah, yeah. animals that are almost just just as talented as us, or in some cases, like are just as intelligent as us. Mm-hmm. That horror of like an, an animal or a, a being doing that, doing what we do to dolphins and cows and whatever, doing that to us, that's an additional level of horror yeah. that I think is is encapsulated in, in, in the whole first season. Right. The hypothetical of what if we were to step down the food chain, how do you feel about all this? Your ethics change? Does your feeling yeah. and all this stuff change? Like, yeah, absolutely. Because these kids are literally living a, a Wagyu lifestyle. Like, Facts. <laughs> they're Kobe beef. I'm crying. That's yeah. What's happening. They're like, it, it, jokes aside, this, Colony- is, this is kind of food, I guess. But, you know, they talk about the ads. It's all organic, free-range chicken, grass-fed. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what they did with the kids and their quality of life. Bro. Without that specifically. These are, that's yeah, these why are my range. name is Beyond Connie. Nah, these are Beyond Connie because they're a horrible person. They're bad, right? <laughs> now, these are free-range children, pretty yeah, much. That- Used and eaten during a religious ceremony. These are like literally halal kids. These kids are halal. These kids are kosher. All right. Like, like that's. So I'm saying, like, this is this is this is meat that they're eating for religious. Yeah, you're right. Like religious connotations. You're absolutely right. The demon being religious is kind of weird to me. I don't know if they're like necessarily demons, but yeah. Like these are halal in the oh, wait, wait, wait. to that wait, point. What? To that point. I've only seen I've only read or seen about this far in the surface material. But I thought the fact they referred to them as demons was interesting. Because at no point did yeah. we ever discuss them any more than just demons. Like, I, like demons. I was saying I don't know if they're actually like 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 right. demons like, like from, from hell from a different I don't know what the hell they are, but it doesn't matter because they're beings a step above us. Like yeah, I don't know how much cows or... in uh, beef farms are sitting there. Oh yeah, what kind of person? Like no, like this is the thing that's going to kill you. When you have that information, 
it doesn't matter what their source is. They could literally be naturally occurring species on Earth in 2045. I have no idea what they are. They could be aliens. They could be literally anything. They could be humans that are mutated or something. Who knows? But they're demons for the intensive purposes of the kids because they're sufficiently far above them in the food chain that they're almost, it doesn't matter what they are. Like, it's ambiguous what they are, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're still going to kill them, so it doesn't matter. Oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, but they're like definitely just demons, yeah. like from hell. Uh they are. Yeah, I guess they, they, they. It's just demons, like that. That's it. All right. Yeah, I mean, you know more than me, yeah, but I'm saying, um, yeah. like yeah. dolphins are are almost as intelligent as us. Octopuses have have yeah. really high intelligence, and we capture those beings, bro. And we we agree. Beaks. That's so weird, and we agree. Oh, wait, said random, but I <laughs> uh, <laughs> just remember. But like, but like we capture those beings, right? Right. And think think about like a being more capable than us, like even slightly more capable than us. We might get that same treatment, and that's the third. That's the, the second level of horror that's taking place under the the, right. the backdrop of of the mystery dark dark fiction that's going on in the show. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different examples in pop culture of like that idea being played out kind of quietly. So like every aliens movie, the aliens never come here and are stupider than us. They never come here and have worse technology. They're always just a step above. And that makes sense, obviously, because they have to get here. But you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. the threat yeah. is that they're a step above. They're never just like us trying to have a good time and do whatever. They're functionally, in terms of socialization, most of the time, they're functionally human-ish. And the difference is that they don't see us with like, I guess, any human rights, they see us as the same meat we see animals as. Um, yeah. Another thing that does that, artificial intelligence movies are a similar idea. It's like, hey, we need to convince this new thing that's a step above us that we are valid enough to consider equals. And shortly after the artificial intelligence wakes up every single time, it stops thinking that. Um, X-Men, the underlying suggestion of the way that they talk about the mutants is that they're the next step in human evolution. So, like, hey, what did we do? We got rid of the Neanderthals or whatever the prior step in evolution was for us, all those people are gone. They were people mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, but we got rid of them because they were different than us. So what do you guys think the mutants are going to do? So like every, this, this idea of like, yo, what if we were a step down is something that's pretty pervasive throughout these things. And I think it's a real interesting point, especially when you're using words like farm and like food to describe the main characters. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's perfectly like woven underneath all the other stuff, cause that like you you got the main plot of like mystery, dark fiction, dark fiction. Then it's a level of horror, which is the horror of childhood. Then it's a level of horror, the horror of of not being at the, at the top of the food chain, and all three is just like interwoven perfectly. I think, and it mixes in the intelligence conversation too, because even inside the house, it's all humans inside the house, but not being the top of the food chain is not having the most information. And that's what mm-hmm. the source of fear is for the kids. That's what the source of fear is for Krona. That's what the source of fear is for Isabella as well in some ways. Yeah. Because uh, you could tell even from the two interactions with Grandmother that we've seen on screen, right. Grandmother's piled on her from the interaction with uh, yeah with Krona, with yep. her in the past. It's like everyone is plotting on someone else. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, Krona's warped perspective on motherhood is an interesting comparison to Isabella because mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just that Isabella's more reserved, 
but Krona has the baby doll and she beats the crap out of the baby doll when things go well. Uh, go poorly, rather. Like, the first thing that happens when things go bad, she throws the baby... Oh, no, when things are going well. She's celebrating or whatever because she thinks things are going well. And she throws the baby doll up in the air and it hits the ceiling. And, like, they zoom in on the baby doll to show that it hits the ceiling. And I don't think that's for no reason. I think it's a show that, quite literally, her perspective on motherhood is self-aggrandizing as opposed to being about the kids doing well. Yeah, but um, that's because of how Corona, like, what they do at the Mother Academy. Like, they, it's it's a very high-intensive, like, uh, indoctrination-type situation where, like, they're getting, like, beat every day if they're stepping out of line and stuff like that. So, right. having a... And then, like, after they finish that, they go into, uh... Then they go into another step of, uh... Of, like, preparation to be a mother. And that's where Isabella learns the, uh... The, the posturing and everything like that. Oh, wow, okay. That's interesting. But, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know how the... the... That's another thing. Their clothing changed again when they were in school. The kids wear white. I got to talk about Norman sweaters in a second, too. The kids wear white. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the way that the different characters were designed. Because, like, even when you have a cast of characters with the same uniforms, there's ways to make them separate. So, like, yeah. obviously, Emma has the skirt or whatever, and her boots are high. And the high boots kind of make her look athletic in a way. I don't know why. That's just kind of the vibe I got. Mm -hmm. um, Krona also wears the, the high boots, and it makes her it just makes them seem like they are, like, you know, active characters. Um, Norman and Ray wore the white shirts, but at, beyond a certain point, maybe because he's sickly, Norman had the sweaters on. Um, but um, wait, real quick to go back. The difference between Krona and um, Isabella is that Krona, because she's a more active, more physical one, she never, the love thing, because I guess she didn't get taught it yet, doesn't come out, but it seems genuine that Isabella loves those kids. She's just sick. Krona does yeah. not seem to love yeah, no, she, them. Yeah, no, no, she doesn't. She's no, Isabella absolutely loved her kids. Which sick is and wild. just deeply indoctrinated. Yeah. yeah. But again, Isabella knows that she's, she actively knows that she's choosing wrong. Right. Yeah, Krona, Krona doesn't, Krona's thinking of it solely as survival. Um, yeah. Which is an interesting uh, dichotomy between the two of them. And she beats on the baby doll all the time. So it seems like, you know, Isabella's almost seems selfless because when they talk to her, with the pretense dropped because they make sure to explicitly say like, "Hey, we get to meet each other for real for the first time." Yeah, she says she genuinely wants them to live the best lives they can. It's almost like she's just giving up. It's like it was like Ray, like you know, when they when we thought they were depressed for a couple episodes. Yeah, it's they were just the impending doom fate. of it all. Yeah, yeah. Isabella's and, and to fate. she's trying to give them the best lives that they can have before that happens to them. Yeah, and like, that she she's very intentional about that and very serious about it, like just from later on in the series and everything like she she very much wants to give them the best life possible that's why uh, at the very end she's like uh have fun outside emma like right. she genuinely wants that girl to enjoy her life and have fun and it's interesting and then yeah we got to talk about her and uh comparing isabella and emma because i feel like they set them up to be the same character yes yeah because uh emma got the opportunity uh she got offered an opportunity to be a mother yeah, Emma, yeah, the same character except one crucial decision. Right. Yeah. And Emma says early on, because I thought Emma was going to be, uh, what's it called? I thought they were setting that up because Emma says, I want to stay here. So I'm like, I want to stay here forever and be a mother like you. I was like, yeah, that's the very beginning. That's dirty. I don't, I don't like that. And then when it, you know. And um, they showed why, um, they showed the, the point of, of difference with Isabella. 
right. and and Emma, because Isabella figured out uh, that when her friend died, right. and then after that she was like, yeah, I uh, I I need to figure out how to get out of this, blah blah blah, all this shit, and then uh, she got the offer to be a mother. Isabella never had a Ray either. Yeah. Her Ray died. No, her Norman died. She never had a ray. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, right, which right. I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, the thing I was saying about the sweaters. Norman's plan, the warm clothes for Norman's plan, they were literally like, Norman, you know how they showed Norman being with them. All the kids mm-hmm. had sweaters on. Norman had the sweater after a certain point. That became the symbol of Norman beyond a certain point because not everybody had sweaters. Because Ray didn't mm-hmm. have a sweater and Emma didn't have a sweater. By the time all the kids escaped, clad with Norman's plan and uh, I guess the leadership of Emma and Ray, they all got over. And when they got over, they just happened to be dressed the way that Ray was dressed for the majority of his time on the screen, which I thought was a mm-hmm. cool symbol. Yeah, I thought it was cool to see how the last few minutes uh, of the show changed. Uh, the last episode changed how Ray um, acted around the kids. Yeah. Where, um, I don't think Ray early on in the show would have done what he did for, for the little black girl. That's true. Um, where he he went across with her like when when he figured out when he figured out that he that he lost to Norman yeah that really was a wake up call for him cuz he was resigned to his plan to to commit suicide and then Norman showed him like nah, there's there's more than one way to to for them to escape and you could be a part of it right and i thought that was really cool um forgot my last point i had a point about Krona, i forgot i'm sorry yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. My, oh, this is my point about Krona. Krona, um, like she's she she kind of reminds me of like uh, one of those Greek tragic characters, um, in a way like, um, her being active is what led to her death because I think overall, um. Her plotting against Isabella was, it was she she realized that it was never gonna win, right? And that was her last realization before dying. Yep. Oh, and the fact that, that just real quick. Uh, can I just finish this point. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, it plays into the 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 um, inevitability motif, where nothing she did at that point was a win condition for her. She right. was at a, a game state where everything she did. Everything she pursued actively was going to lead to her demise. Thanks. Oh, oh. The only little thing I wanted to say was in that moment, the way mm-hmm. they, I, I like a lot how they play with sound design. I think the thing that's most horror ish about this show is the way that they use sound. Um, yeah. Yeah. When the gate is closing, you know the noise the demons make, that kind of breathy, like growl kind of thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That noise is, I think, in that moment, is the same noise as the bars closing down. Which kind of, like, if you yeah. go back and watch that scene, it's the same noise. Or the two noises are, like, mixed, which goes back to the inside versus outside thing. Because when they mm-hmm. close her off from the rest of the world and she's now completely inside, that was a sign that she was dying. And the sound of the coming inside, at the gate at the very least, was the same sound as the demons. Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely enjoyed this. Like, I, I, yeah, I nah, sure I, I rock with Promise Neverland. Yeah, I like shows that are intentional. Yeah, I like. It seemed very intentional from what I saw. 
I like di- dissecting all the all the little details in the show. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely a good one. Um, who's your favorite character? Who's, who's your guy? Four PFL. What's the NFL team? <laughs> Four PFL. Oh man, Phil's that guy. Yeah, at the safe. Phil, Phil ain't asked no questions. He wasn't like uh, old, old fuckboy. Yeah. Yo, fuck that, that's really why I like Phil so oh, much. Oh, okay, okay. Phil, Phil was the young boy. Yeah, Phil okay, was the young okay. The, the yeah. baby. Who they were like, listen, this is what we need you to do. You got to hold it down for us. And he said, he just said no yeah. hesitation. What? Two years? I'm going to hold it down. And then there's Don, who was salty that they didn't give him any information and went to go soil the plan as fast as he could. Like, bro, this is why they didn't tell you anything. Like I yeah. could not stop thinking of Star Lord when this man was down there serving. Big facts. Yeah. It was oh my they, he took he took Gilda into the into the literally the the the, the den of, of the monster. Yeah. Not only do yeah you took her into the den of the monster, and and you really got tough when when, when started swinging on niggas like oh yeah facts. <laughs> like what? <laughs> he ducked everybody out and was like I'm sorry it's because I was upset and it's like bro. You duff them out because, like, that kind of gave me cool bar, cool bar vibes there. I'm sorry, but I'm saying you hit you hit the person the the person that was noted to be sickly the whole time, Facts. and you hit another nerd. But when Emma when Emma was in your face, you didn't have hands with her. Soft. <laughs> you saying he should have beat on Emma? <laughs> no, he's he's soft regardless. But Emma would have watched him. Yeah, facts. Bro, Emma, telling you all, Emma is really yo. She represents nothing but violence and negativity. I don't, I I don't think it. I don't think he would have beat Emma. I think if he was swung on Emma, Emma would have had him on the ground. Yeah, facts. Emma got the. I'm telling you, Emma. Jokes aside, is like a, she really is a shonen protagonist. Like, she's the strongest person, unreasonably strong for her age. She's hyper optimistic. She has, you know, the, the the memes about. Oh, guess who the main character is? She's the only one with main character hair. Yeah, and she picks. Oh up yeah, up, <laughs> up very quickly in like a preternatural Naruto kind of way. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah. I I think. Like for sure, she. Yeah, nah. She, there was a uh, like the only main character in the show. Like, I got a stupid there, question though, because something I saw in the background. Isabella's raised mother. And this yeah. again, I haven't read much. I think I've read like two or three chapters ahead of this. Do y'all think that Emma's mom is out there somewhere? Because there was a baby with Emma hair at some point. Yeah, she I is. think there was yeah. a baby with Emma hair. Uh yeah, uh Isabella works with Emma's mother specifically. Yeah, I saw the baby with Emma hair, and I was like, okay, everybody else got regular hair. Why is this yeah. child the only other child on Earth with an ombre, the same color as the main character? That can't be a coincidence, but it was a baby baby. So I was like, yeah, yeah, Emma definitely has a mom somewhere out there. Because yeah, no, the and the, yeah, I mean, mothers stay mothers. Like, you, you don't, yeah, but you, you don't, like, die off as a mother. The other kids got to come from somewhere, though, because the mother can't be having all these kids. Yeah, they are. There's only uh, that's why they're four, becoming mothers. There's only six places though, no? No. There's only six farms on that plant, isn't it? On that plant, but they, they bring in kids from other places as well. Oh, they didn't explain that to us. I guess oh, it, yeah, I guess no, it no, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. But like I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. they have to come from somewhere else. I just don't know. Are there other it's like how plants? we have a bunch of cows yes. at all times? Yeah, there there are other plants. Um in the one shot manga. Uh, or not one shot, whatever it's called, in the like the the after after Nerds of Promise Neverland or whatever, there's uh, Isabella deciding that she wants to uh, commit mutiny or treason or whatever, 
and get rid of the demon shits after uh after the kids get away. Hmm. And uh in that group is Norman's or not Norman's mom, is Emma's mom. Is she just like Emma but older? Yeah, I uh, think I'll show you. I think this this show provides an opportunity to, to completely change the genre. Yeah, like, the genre switches three times. I think the genre yeah, I think it's gonna later become like a more of a survival anime after this, or like a survival battle anime. Yeah, as far as it looks like it's going up to, because at this point it's just about the mystery, yeah. learning about the world, and surviving. It already has the elements of the survival, but I feel like later it's going to go into deeper into the survival stuff as their knowledge of the world becomes, as their as their um their beliefs about the world are more in tune with the reality of it. Yeah. Right. Oh, also, I saw a picture just scrolling the other day. And Emma had a tool? Yeah. Kind of uh, um, when they break out or whatever, they uh they get further into the world. There there's like one really funny scene where uh they're in a they're in like a base or whatever that another person who escaped a, a different farm was in. And uh <laughs> And they break into it or whatever. The guy comes in with a gun, and Emma's standing there with an unpinned grenade and a gun, talking about. And she's sitting there smiling into the frame. Haha! If you walk forward, I'll kill you. And it was just like, oh, sick mode has increased. Yeah, nah, Emma. Emma. Nah. When it came down to it, Emma was really down for violence every mm. time. Sicko mode is the power system of Promise Neverland. <laughs> I see. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Willingness to eat yeah. a child, all powerful. Willingness to bring yourself alive, just to vex somebody, you top two. Yeah, nah, they, they, yeah, they get, they get actively violent in Promise Neverland. That's why I like it so much. When I watched this the first time in college, like at the very, very end of college, like 2019, I think, I immediately caught up and read the entire manga that night because of how into it I was. I read some of the manga a while ago. And it, it the same kind of thing. I, maybe I got to adjust my perspective on these things. I got into AOT, and I, I kind of was I'm into so the, the horror thing. I was into everything. You know, the sense of dread that kind of just was draped over the entire atmosphere. And then mm-hmm. they started, spoilers for AOT, they started turning into Titans. I was like, oh, okay, that's not as, that's not what I was, it's not bad. It's just not what I was looking for. Um, or not what I was primed to expect. And yeah. here, when they got outside, uh, things the, the genre started to change, and that's why I fell off. Because I, I was really into the mystery and the non-battle battle anime kind of feel. Because I think that's always cool and requires like a real creativity to get to it. So I was into that. But... No, it stays that way kind of, but okay. uh, it it expands. Like the the it becomes battles on and off the field. But yeah. like it was outside talking to yeah. Chimera ants, and I didn't like it, so I stopped reading it. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm out of here. They in NGL. I didn't need to know that. I'm good. So They're on the NGO. Jesus Christ. Yeah, was um, Emeka, you got anything of yours to plug before we before we end the episode? Um, uh, just follow me on Instagram, IG Nancy. That's I G A N A N S I. I do comic stuff. I do cartoon stuff. I do manga stuff. And I might have shirts coming soon if Redbubble will bless me and uh, co-sign my designs. So you're gonna see. I I just want to take this time to one. Shout out my uh, shout out my therapist Vanjie. 
she said she's gonna listen sometime. So if she's listening <laughs> to this one, shout out to you. Um, she may just pull her on our test. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> I want to plug some of my friends' twitches. Um, Thanks. The first one is uh, the Zine Ram. So uh, so X I N A R A M. Um, and then I'm gonna plug um, it's Freddy with a lowercase f, and then I can W. So those those I want to plug my my three friends' twitches, and that's it. I watch those guys' stuff. They get into uh, some Call of Duty, uh, Freddy, and uh, not Freddy. Uh, Dub and Armani were playing Dead or Alive the other day. You know, pop rocks, extensions on the combos. Um, they play For Honor. Uh, good mix of stuff. And uh, they're all pretty consistent. So, you know, you're into checking out gaming and, you know, some cool commentary. You should go look those guys up. Cool. All right, Robbie, throw the smoke bomb. Yeah, dude. <laughs>